Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 742 with Keith Saracen. For me, a lot of people will email be like, you know, chef, how did you become successful? And I always respond with, I don't know. I'll let you know when I do. Because my version of success isn't, a, isn't tied to money. Right. It's tied to, it's tied to something that I believe, that core belief and the supporting beliefs that, that subsequently shaped that whole belief system. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. What is going on? Unstoppables. We have a great show for you today. I'm talking to Keith Saracen from the Farmer's Dinner, uh, which started out in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, Keith came on my radar when I did the Corona Chronicles back in March uh, because what he had created with Industry United, a Facebook group, which I think is up to like 26,000 members now. He launched that during COVID-19 to bring the industry together, to share knowledge, and to just offer support. And uh, after interviewing Keith for the Corona Chronicles, I said, Keith, when I'm in New Hampshire, man, I got to get you on the show. And that's what today is. uh, Keith coming on the show to share his story and what he's got going on with the Farmer's Dinner. And I love what he's doing at the farmer's dinner. And I think what he's doing right now is something that you're going to see a lot more people doing in the future, using pop-ups kind of getting away from the restaurant because having a restaurant right now, a physical brick and mortar space is almost a, uh, limiting because you, you can't bring people inside. You have to follow all these regulations and these rules. Uh, but with pop-ups, if you're on private property, there's really no restriction. Um, and I know a lot of people in the back of their mind are thinking, well, isn't that kind of defeating the whole purpose of, all this effort. Yeah, maybe. But at the same time, like who knows? Like, and I'm just trying to have an open mind. I'm trying to think about different perspectives, different ways you guys can, can stay afloat in, uh, get cash flow going. And I think pop-ups are one of those ways getting creative and having whole events, uh, centered around pop-ups on private property where you're not limited on what you can do. So, uh, that's why I really wanted to talk to Keith today. We also get into vulnerability. Uh, it's a really like soulful interview with a, a lot of great tips on how to start a pop-up and uh, best practice. Practices. So here it is, Keith Saracen. And with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Keith Saracen. My man, Keith, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling absolutely unstoppable. Are you feeling I'm unstoppable? I'm feeling today? unstoppable today, man. I'm back on site, traveling. It feels good. Uh, respecting the social distancing. We're still doing some things. We These are brand new mic covers every time we get started. So absolutely. We are feeling unstoppable. That's for sure, man. Uh, so at the age of 15, Keith Saracen started working at a local sub shop, washing dishes and making subs. By 2012, he held titles from sushi chef to executive chef and eventually private chef before founding the farmer's dinner in 2012 I already mentioned 212 
It was 2012, just in case you guys weren't sure. It was 2012. The farmer's dinner concept came about Keith's time working with local farmers in the New England area. He wanted a way to support local farms while sharing the stories he learned from his time with various farmers. Since 2012, the farmer's dinner has hosted over 81 farm to table events across New England and has fed more than 20,000 customers raising over $140,000 for local farms, man. Thank you so much for that work. And on top of this, you are responsible for three books. You have the, um, the perfect Turkey, the, uh, farmer's dinner, a story in every bite. And you also have a new book about to launch. Do you want to drop that one on us real quick? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just kind of an expose into meat. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about butchering. We're going to give you an insane amount of 300 recipes. That's, like, that's awesome. I'm, I'm like three weeks from the deadline and I'm like, what am I doing? Right. Is there a list I can get on to make sure I know when that one's available <laughs> for you? I'm just going to send you a copy. Oh man, that'd be great. <laughs> Thank you so much. So uh, before we get into your story and find out how you got to where you are today, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You got it. So uh, I say it all the time. Maya Angelou, amazing human being. Uh, she said, you did what you knew how to do. And when you knew better, you did better. Mm, that's I've get a lot of Maya Angelou quotes, but that, yeah. that's the first one. Why does that resonate with you? Um, because I think like, like everyone, we always mess up. You know, we always, you know, we do our absolute best in that moment. And then when we fail, we either take that path of, oh, I screwed up and now life is over or we go, hey, I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to get better. And so yeah. it hits, it hits every core, you know? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of something I like to say often is you don't know until you know. Right. <laughs> You're just right. going to go sometimes. And uh, the best way to f- figure it out is just to take the chance, you know, just absolutely man. open minds. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? It says in your bio, 15 yeah. is when you started working in the restaurant industry. But did you, did you start before then? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, so growing up, it was just my mom and I. We lived in uh, in the second largest city in New Hampshire called Nashua. Yeah. Um, I never wanted to be a chef. That isn't like, you know, I think these people have these great epiphanies where they're like, I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper and I knew I wanted to do this. And like, I didn't. I went to school for marriage and family therapy. Uh, I got a psych degree and <laughs> I, uh, I still say I don't use it, but I think we all know in this industry, we probably use it a little bit. There is absolutely a trend of people that I've come across that were in school for psychology who end up into the restaurant industry some way, somehow. I don't know if it's That's because crazy. it's a popular uh, just degree to get and there's not a lot of psychologists, but there's a ton of like majors. Yeah. But the, our, our industry has a ton of psychologist majors. Uh, what I wonder why? Do you, like, what are your thoughts on that? So first day um, in my degree, I'm you know we're all sitting there in class, scared as hell. And my professor um, he comes up and he says, "You're all here because you're somewhat broken and you want to know why." And I thought about that a lot. I'm like, man, that's kind of it. You know, I grew up with an absentee father, just my mom and I, and I wanted to go into marriage and family. You know, you don't need to be Freud to figure out the lineage there. Yeah. So I think for me, like I really, we all want to understand ourselves at a deeper level. And, you know, psychology was that for me. Um, and I thought that that was going to be my career path. And yeah. so obviously life, <laughs> life takes a lot of different turns. Um, so I'm 15 years old and I wanted a mountain bike so bad because all my friends had these really cool mountain bikes. And my mom's like, yeah, well, you know, we can't afford it. So there's a sub shop at the end of the road. Why don't you go apply? And I did. And I started washing dishes. And, uh, you know, it, there's no glory in that, especially when you're 15. But at the same point, it's kind of cool because now you got a job. Um, and I, I worked hard, um, as hard as a 15 year old will work yeah. and, uh, and ended up saving up to buy a bike. 
And I think that moment was, was pretty indelible for me because I was like, wow, if you put in the work and you shut your mouth, good things can happen. And I think that a lot of my career was, was kind of, you know, paved off of that, right? Where it's like, sometimes you just need to learn to shut up. <laughs> I think that lesson took me a little bit while longer uh, than at 15. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of my first swing into, into the restaurant industry. Yeah, I love it. And um, I know we actually, so this is actually your second time on the show. I meant to mention in the intro that you joined us, Keith joins us when we're doing the, the Corona Chronicles. Uh, you're one of my guests. Uh, you started. I mean, we'll probably scale into what's going on with with more modern day or or current day situations. But you started industry, um, or no, industry united was yeah. in the Facebook group. If, that, if Keith's name sounds familiar, it's because he was a gentleman I had on the show a few months back to talk about COVID nineteen. Um, <clears throat> but I, the, what was the reason why I wanted to bring that to the surface? I had a reason for that. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Um, I'm just curious how how has psychology served you in in life in in the restaurant industry because I mean there's just so many lessons that we can pull how are you better because of it sure i uh you know i I think people get the misconception that psychology is this magic trick, so you know we're sitting here talking and I'm like, well, I'm analyzing you you know like it's not the way it works um i I certainly don't you know, utilize that it's, and it's not a magic trick. So I think what happened is my, my time in college helped me understand how to research things better. And to me, that actually made the biggest difference, right? Okay. Like, so how did you start research? Like what's the, the proper way to, to go about researching something? Sure. So, um, for me, I, I'm always a pretty passionate person. My mom was like, you know, she, she had an amazing heart. Um, so with me, I would follow kind of my bliss there. And so when I get obsessed with something, it literally like turns into that obsession. Uh, Indian food is a good example of it. Um, when I when I fell into that, I was like, not only am I going to learn this cuisine, but I'm going to learn every single solitary state. I'm going to learn Hindi. I'm going to learn everything I possibly can. Because to know one thing, you have to know. It's So here's the psychology, ready? So if you wanted to change a belief system, you have to weaken what's called the supporting beliefs around it. So think of it like a spider web. And right in the middle is that core belief. That core belief could be anything that you can insert in there. Well, there's a system of supporting beliefs around that. And to just change somebody's belief is almost impossible. You have to weaken the supporting beliefs behind, you know, around it. And so I think that's what I did when it came to research. I was like, if I'm going to believe something, I need to make sure that the supporting beliefs actually make sense to the core belief. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, but listening to you say that, like I, one of the things that I've noticed is like when, before starting this podcast, I was like, I want to know why people are successful in the industry. And I want to figure out the, the reason why, right? Like there's one reason why um, there is not yeah. but for the record, but the, what I just like getting into that, the more I learned, the more I realized that there's so much like you, there is no one answer. It's, it's like the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And it's just this endless, like this bottomless pit of like information to like the more I dig, the more I realize there's more down there. For sure. Right? Is that tied into any way what you're sharing? Is it, is it connected? Yeah, I think so, you know, to kind of, to kind of bring it in full circle, I think we're all on our own journey, right? Yeah. There's going to be a weird kind of way to, to answer that question. We all have our journey and our journey isn't linear. It's lefts, rights, ditches, valleys, all of these things. And once you understand that the process to, to self-discovery isn't saying my goal is X and once I hit X, I'm happy. 
happiness isn't in that part. And I think that's what it takes. The restaurant industry tells us this all the time, right? Like we start off and we say, cool, I'm cooking. I love this. I want to be this amazing chef who wins James Beard or gets Michelin stars, you know, opens a restaurant. But our journey isn't that linear. It's, it's, it's filled with all this stuff. So I guess my journey, it's, it's been, I never thought I'd be sitting here talking to you. You know, I didn't like want to be some famous chef. I wanted to write a book, but it, I don't think it was a cookbook, you know. Um, I really hope this isn't the highlight of your career. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) Um, but in all honesty, like, I mean, like it's I've been able to meet amazing people through this journey. And it's mostly because I think I give a shit about people more than I give a shit about myself sometimes. Mm. That's not always the healthiest thing. That's not like, but you know, when you actually care for somebody and you care what you're putting on your plate, you care what, you know, this person is, you know, you you care about that person, right? It doesn't mean that they have to rule you, but like you care about the intrinsical properties of what makes that person that person and understand that their journey is different too. Mm. I know I went off in the left field. I do that. No, it's cool. I mean, I'm loving the conversation, but I think originally we were talking about this, this, the, this ability to research and then you yeah. realize that there's always this core belief and then you have to understand what the core belief is and then understand that around that yeah. you got to figure out all the supporting beliefs. So connect those thoughts. Sure. Help See, me. That's why you're good at what you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. So, so the way that you connected is this. Um, so if I say, you know, um, I want to be a successful chef. And my, my core belief is that success is, is a definition that I derive from having a million dollars in my bank account. Well, if that's my version of success, um, there's a lot of ways I could get there. So the supporting beliefs around that could be financial stability. It could be, you know, press, it could be whatever. So for me, for me, a lot of people will email be like, you know, chef, how did you become successful? And I always respond with, I don't know. I'll let you know what I do. Yeah. Because my version of success isn't, a, isn't tied to money. Relative. Right. It's tied to, it's tied to something that I believe, that core belief and the supporting beliefs that, that subsequently shaped that whole belief system. And that's weird because people congratulate me for my success all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm nowhere near where I want to be. Is that kind of, is it like, I mean, for me, that's yeah. what I think. I'm like, I have this vision of what I would like to do and what I could do and the, the good impact I could have. Like I literally in my mission statement, it says I want to transform the world, yeah. you know? And I feel like I haven't even put a dent in that. Do you think like having like, like so back to what we're talking about, we're talking about the journey and mm-hmm. like it's being present within the moment to realize that you have achieved something um, and that it might not be your ultimate Achieval, but all the satellite achievals you're making along the way to get there is success, and you need to recognize that for sure. Is that my is that the same point or a different point that you're trying to make? No, it's the same point. So let, let's let's break it down into kind of an analogy here. If I look at you, so I don't do podcasts, um, like I don't know how to set all this stuff up. This is so cool to me, right? <laughs> so if I look at you and I say, "Man, like you're super successful. Like you've had all these people on your show. You've been able to do all the it right now." There's a tape playing in your head where you're going, "Well, like." Yeah, but I haven't done this and I haven't done this. And it's, it's this internal supporting laundry list of things that you haven't checked off that means success to you. Mm. So what means success to me in a podcasting world wouldn't mean success to you. You know, and does that make sense so far? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why like success is just a super subjective term. Yeah. You know, you've had people on your show who 
I could go, wow, man, they're really successful in their field. But they may go, success to me means making it through the next day mm. or raising my child with these virtues and values. Yeah. And I'm so happy we're, we're starting the podcast like this because I, one of the things I, I've identified is that you know if, if we're going to transform the industry and transform the world, it's about injecting new values into the industry. And I think a part of a lot of our issues are in society, especially American society, we put so much value on how much money I have. Yeah. Like the reason why people are congratulating you, like how well you're doing or whatever. But at the end of the day, like we know that money is one of those things that no matter how much you have, yeah. it's like a drug. You'll, you'll just, you know, you'll plateau at that point until you just need the next level and you'll never be happy. You'll never be successful because you'll always want more. Right. So you've got to inject other values. Like, do I like the thing I'm doing every day? Do I know my work is impacting other people positively? Am I making a difference in my community? Am I changing someone's life? Like these are the things we need to focus on. Perfectly said. That's exactly it. it. I love it. But here's the the next level of that, right? And (laughs) the next level is a lot of times we don't talk about what quantifies success for us or what means success because that's vulnerability. And vulnerability isn't something that we do really well in this industry, is it? In, in general, I think people in general are afraid to be vulnerable. Right. Because I don't know why. Um, I haven't gotten into, I love psychology better. So if you know the answer as to why we're, we're afraid to be vulnerable, I know the power in being vulnerable. Sure. Same reason, like if a dog rolls over to let you pat its back, like that sucker's pulling you in. Like you're going to bend over and pat that dog. Yeah. It, it pulls you in. When you are vulnerable, it's the same effect. People want to, you pull people in. Right. So why are we so apprehensive to be vulnerable? So in the West, we correlate vulnerability with weakness. And so we say, if I'm being vulnerable to one of my peers, then I'm showing a sign of weakness and they can get me. Mm. And so it's get them before they get me mentality. And that's not the way that, that most people work, right? How do we evolve? See, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're the, there's all these like, little things. Did I cut you short? Was that no, just no, leading to another thought? Because I don't want to. I, I would keep going. Okay. I like your thoughts. Go for it, bro. <laughs> so like, it's this idea that like, um, how, like, there's so many things that we inherit and that we just develop over years, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, we develop these characteristics um, and they, they don't serve us anymore. Like anxiety is one, you know, uh, we're always afraid that around the corner something's going to get us, but we're apex predator now, but we still have that anxiety and the vulnerability is one of those things where we're afraid to be vulnerable. Like, what do we do to communicate to our teams to let people know that like all these things that you feel, anxiety, vulnerability, anger, like all these emotions, these are all emotions that do not serve you anymore. Like how do you communicate that to people? Yeah. So great question. So the first way that we do it is by being an example of it, right? You know, my life um, has not been great all the time. You know, I lost my best friend to cancer. I lost my mom a year and a half ago Mm -hmm. to cancer. Like I've, you know, I've had businesses and failed at businesses. Like these things don't define who I am. I have a choice to either let that be, I can either be the victim to that and that that insane emotion that goes along with it, or I can choose to be the victor. Mm. And that's a decision that we have to make. So when it comes to vulnerability, it starts by being able to have those conversations, you know, and saying, I'm not as cool as, as it looks like when you Google me. You know what I mean? Like, I still have those emotions. I still have all that stuff that creeps up. Yeah, but I think it's it's important to recognize that these are just emotions that we're not defined by them and that we have this amazing thing we're in the center of our forehead called the frontal lobe, maybe a little higher that lets us flip a switch and choose. Um, and that's a very powerful 
ability. Once you realize that you choose, that yeah. you have the ability to choose your your how you feel. Um, it's 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 a game changer for sure. I'm loving this conversation, man. We're totally like in this little rabbit hole, <laughs> but I'm to, it was totally worth getting into it. I want to come back to the surface. Sure. Um, when I first spoke to you, I think this is why I mentioned earlier that you were on the show because you mentioned Steve. And that's where I was going. You mentioned Steve. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to learn more about the Steve dude, but where you were tr- tr- talking about COVID, not your life story. So when did Steve come into your life? Yeah. So Steve and I met, God, I was, I think it was probably eight. Um, I grew up in the boys and girls club in Nashua. Um, my mom, like I said, she was a single mom, so she would work. And, uh, and Steve was in a grade higher than me. He was like a year older than me. Um, and he, uh, you know, like, I think we all have those friends that just seem larger than life growing up. Mm. Like, he was like the toughest dude, and he would just live life like times 12. And I was just like, man, like, I, I can't do this. Like, he has no fear. Um, and, you know, growing up, we would, we would nerd out. Um, I found out that as much as of a jock as Steve was, he was also this like closet nerd who wanted, who wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, let's do this thing. <laughs> um, and so I think a lot of the mischief I got into, you know, was because of him, but a lot of amazing memories. And as you spend that much time with somebody, you bond. Um, mm. his family became like family to me. I was living there for the most part. I lived probably a mile down the road. So, Every single solitary weekend, it was sleepovers, and you know he was the first person who got a car in our group, and so then it was 140 miles an hour to the beach, you know, hoping that I just saw tomorrow. Um, yeah, it was it was nuts, and so that, that drive down 101. Oh my god, nuts! And so with uh, with Steve, he uh, he wanted to be a chef. Um, he was he was always really good at cooking, um, and I needed a job, so he would he would come in and be like, oh well, I'm I'm working at Red Lobster, like come on in, and I was like, yeah, like let's do this thing. And he'd haze the hell out of me, like <laughs> just the worst. Um, and I'd follow him from job to job. He ended up becoming a kitchen manager and then subsequently fired me um, for mouthing off to him. And, you know, in those moments, you know, you're like, screw this kid. And like, this kid's a jerk. But over time, you see, you know, you see the content of that person come through. And his heart was unparalleled. So for me, I learned so much about. You know, being able to communicate correctly, vulnerability, we talked about that. Um, you know, we had that relationship where as Steve grew into, into who he was, you know, he, uh, he would say, hey, man, I'm having like a really bad day. Like my girlfriend and I broke up. Like, can we talk about it? And like that level of vulnerability was important and really shaped who I became later on in life. I love that, man. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we unpackaged the power of vulnerability pretty well so i don't know if we need to go back down that although jared make a note because i would love to do a deep dive conversation around the power of vulnerability and if you know anybody who is an expert on that subject uh for sure put them on my radar we can get them on the show because i think it's super powerful um what about business i mean he he taught you about the the significance of vulnerability in business but what else did he teach you about business yeah so steve was kind of always the line cook um then subsequently you know the sous chef and and ended up running a kitchen so from a business perspective perspective he was still figuring out he was a dreamer yeah you know and and i him and i gravitated toward that i was too um i think business for me ended up being a lot of people that came on later on in my life that i started to learn um learn a lot from and idolize uh there's a lot of people in the boston scene uh chris himmel who you know is past guest in the show yeah oh you had himmel on yeah i gotta get him back on i listening to your original episode yeah uh to get ready for this conversation you mentioned his name i was like 
we got to get Chris back on the show. Chris is just one of the most genuinely amazing human beings. Yeah. And even, even if he doesn't hear that, I'd say that to anyone. He's, he like, he kind of, you know, when I was starting off in farmer's dinner, he allowed us to come to the restaurant to do his farm to post dinners at post 390. And like, that was big time for me. Like I didn't, I grew up really poor. So like going to the first time I walked into one of those dinners, like I knew I had to like have a suit and like, it was scary. That stuff's intimidating. Right. And over the years, Himmel and I became friends. Um, we both use, uh, Carl Hills, um, who's a a chief farmer over at, uh, at Kimball fruit farm in Pepperell mass. And Carl would, you know, he'd be like, you remind me of a young Chris Himmel. And I was like, who's Chris Himmel. (laughs) So (laughs) years later I realized what a compliment it was, you know, and, you know, Chris and I became really good friends. So, you know, that helped me and, and he's, he's really helped shape me. Um, there's been other people in my life who I'm pulling back a layer on Chris Himmel, man, uh, <laughs> yeah. really dive into, you know, you, you're, you're speaking all these great things about him, but like, what did he teach you about business? How are you, how do you try to emulate that, that compliment? You know, how do you try to bring that compliment to the surface when you think of Chris Hill and the things that he does and how he runs his businesses? How do you try to replicate that in your businesses? Yeah. So Himmel does, uh, there's a lot of behind the scenes things, um, that, that he doesn't like put out there enough that I understand why, um, being, you know, where he is in, in a career. One of the things that I think is so cool is he takes his staff out on these crazy cool outings that, um, he calls Himmel hits the road. And so like some of it he's, he's publicized a bit, but like he just pays for all of this stuff. And like he rented this huge tour bus and took them to the Midwest, like all the crew at Harvest one year. Um, he, he really introduced us to the crew at Harvest who like chef Tyler Kennett. Um, like we ended up becoming really good friends. Uh, Dan Lee, who's one of the sous chefs, Brandon, the whole crew, like, and we all bonded and we bonded over our love for ingredients, food and farms. And so Chris's lesson wasn't, it wasn't the typical student teacher lesson. It was, I would look at him and I'd say, man, that's smart. Mm. Like, and so I think to be really you know, to be successful in this industry as an entrepreneur, you have to really look at what people are doing and like not openly ask for things, but more so just say, hey, like this is a Himmel hits the road is cool. Like that means a lot to his staff who works so hard for that restaurant. Yeah. You know, so that's cool. That was a good example. So, I mean, I think the this is the, the benefits of actually doing that and taking your people on field trips, right? And letting them the power of just giving your people perspective, right. And letting them not just see how other people are doing things, but then networking with other passionate people within the industry, like what he's doing for his team, he's giving them that perspective, but he's also helping them grow their network. And that in itself is so important in this industry. It's about who, you know, it's like, and this industry is small, like your reputation follows you. So if you can get out there and meet other people and connect with other people, the same passion, it, it, that that shit compounds. It's like, like you just build momentum. He's doing so much for you in, that moment right yeah. um what else do you get out of these field trips like what were the what was the value there so um 2018 uh chris uh so he brought up the crew from harvest um and there's a really cool story here so um we're all at we're all at kimball fruit farm and tyler and i are you know kind of we're, we're at the point where harvest and the farmer's dinner is coming together to throw this beautiful dinner on kimball fruit farm um since we you know had that connection of carl hills and so I ne- I didn't work with Tyler before. I uh, I was judging him in a competition that he killed it. Um, he's an incredible chef, and so this was my first time like bonding with Tyler. So we were walking the fields together, and he's like, "So what do you want to cook, chef?" And I was like, "I want to take a walk." 
And so, like, we just talked about our philosophy on food. And so I would show him some foraging stuff, you know, that I was super excited with. And he'd teach me some of the things that he did. It was this, like, perfectly cohesive moment. And so we were up at the upper greenhouse. And I was like, man, like, I have an idea. Like, why don't we just title each of these courses after this walk that we've taken? So we had the upper greenhouse, the lower field. Like, we had all this cool stuff. And it was really this beautiful symphony of, like, Tyler's creativity and passion, you know, pouring through in these dishes and, um, you know, Joshua, who's their pastry chef over there, just coming in and, and the work that these guys did and the beauty of, of simple ingredients, it made me go, man, like Himmel knows how to hire people. And that was a really good lesson. And then since then, they've treated me like family and, and vice versa. I have so much love and respect for yeah. for them. But you also attract onto the, I mean, like the think about the things that he's doing, right? And like it, and people say all the time on the show, and I don't want to undermine the, the difficulty of finding good people right now. That's a real struggle. Yeah. Maybe not so much. It's getting easier from people I've spoken to that there's because the, everyone's getting laid off. Like there's actually people looking for work again in the industry, which is kind of nice. Um, but it's a real challenge. But at the same time, like what are you doing to attract onto yourself? People are you, are you this, this connector who's taking your team on field trips and broadening their horizon? Like what are you doing to add value aside from a paycheck to your people's lives? And I mean, I know, I know a lot of people are doing a lot, but there's also probably a lot of people listening to this right now saying to themselves, I could probably be doing more, you know? I love what you just said because you're diving into the deep end. And like, <laughs> yeah. this is the stuff that this industry needs to talk about. Yeah. So what you just said, nailed it, bro. Um, here's, here's my thought on it real quick. Um, you, you touched on something that we're, I think in this industry, we're scared to talk about. And that's acquisition and subsequently holding on to talent. Right. So there's a lot of people. Everyone thinks they're a chef nowadays because they watch a Netflix special and they're like, nailed it. You know, um, to do the work that chefs do is mentally and physically grueling. So what are we doing as owners to attract these people and then help them grow? When I started my first restaurant was last year. And so I was, you know, scared out of my mind. First of all, (laughs) there's the vulnerability side of it. Right. Like, You know, I did farmer's dinner for seven years at that time, eight now, but farmer's dinner isn't a restaurant, you know, we're a pop-up. So I knew from the beginning that I wanted to make sure that we took our staff to farms Mm. so that they could connect. I wanted to make sure that I could be a good boss. And did I nail that? No. There was times where I could have done a lot more. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I didn't hold myself to the standard of where Himmel is. He's been doing this a while. But at the same point, I looked at people like Chris and I said, there's where I want to be. You know, I certainly made mistakes in the process, but I cared every step of the way. Mm. And I think that that's where we have to we have to start talking about, you know, taking um, taking and allocating money for benefits um, for these people. We need to talk about, you know, giving them a lifestyle that supports them. And and really encourages their growth because my view of of being an owner is my job is whoever the chef is that I hire. My job is to make them the best chef possible, to give them every resource possible, um, to bring them around the most talented people and nurture and encourage their growth and be a guardrail, but not a bumper car. Right. Mm-hmm. Like a bumper car, you can you can weave out and, and it goes a little crazy, but you have the rails with that. I want them to drive down the road, but I don't want them to wreck everything along the way. Yeah, man, I'm loving what you're dropping on us. And like one line that is just like echoing something I like to say a lot is like the secret to keeping people in your restaurant is trying to push them out of your restaurant 
with the the tools, the knowledge, the resources, everything that the network, introducing them to other people, yeah. do everything you can to get that person to have everything they need to leave you and they'll stay by you forever. Right. Yeah. And then, then you invest in them. Like, okay, I can't get rid of you. So like, what's your vision? Okay, let's do it. You know? And then you've recreated yourself in this individual. You've literally duplicated yourself. Maybe you've even found a better version, you know, which is even a better scenario. That's the key. Like my job is to make sure that not only do I give all of my knowledge to somebody who, who's taking the reins in the restaurant, but I need them to be better than I was because the reality is I, I say it all the time. I'm good at cooking. I'm never going to be a Michelin star winning chef, but guess what? I don't want to be like what I want to do is I want somebody to take a bite of my food and go, Oh man. Oh man. Like that reminds me of this time. I wanted to hit a soul vibe to them in, in uh, Hindi. They call it, um, they call it the Atma, you know, like the Atma means the soul, right? So like I want somebody to hit it in their soul. Mm. You know, I, if you think about your last meal, right? Let's let's flip this. My last meal was literally sitting at this table, <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like I said to you, like I was thinking about the place in Thailand, the Indian food place that, like, it literally did that for me. It brought me to a different place. It wasn't India, but it was close closer to India than I am now. Sorry, yeah, what no, were you gonna that, say? That's perfectly said. Like, so that that effect when it and it triggers a, a memory is called the the um, so Doctor Prevost did it. it's called the Madeline effect, and so there was this great psychologist. He was. Uh, dipping a biscuit in tea one day and he ate it and it brought him back to a memory in his childhood. And those are, that's what I try to recreate, right? We want to create the memories where, yeah, it's, it's awesome to look at people who do dehydrated puffed oyster crisps. That shit's really cool, man. Um, at the, if it was my last meal, what do I want to eat? I want to eat the stuff that brings me some sort of level of comfort and triggers this emotional response to me. And to me, that's the food that I always try to put out at farmer's dinner. That's the food that I want to put out in any restaurant that I'm going to open. Like, I want somebody to connect on, a, on an atma level, that, that, that soul level, right? I love it, man. I'm loving everything you're dropping on us. Uh, any other people or experiences that are worth bringing to the surface before we start talking about how you actually started your own business? Sure. I, it's probably going to be a good segue. Um, you know, I was I was on another podcast. Oh, can you say that? I'm, there needs to be more restaurant business podcasts. I don't know if it was a restaurant business podcast. Um, so I was on another podcast recently. And how I, dare you? I know, right? I'm sorry, I'm cheating. Um, so I I brought up my my old business partner Chris Vio. Um, and you know, Chris is Chris is young still. He's 29. I got a decade on him. Um, but this dude can work circles around any human being. Ever. Um, and he taught me a lot of, of, you know, Chris and I worked really well together because I think my strengths were some of his weaknesses. Was this before Farmer's Dinner? So I hired him for Farmer's Dinner. Okay. Um, he was working on another project. In Did Manchester. you know him before Farmer's Dinner? So like- I, I judged a food competition. Okay. So here's the, the quick 20-second soundbite for it. Um, so I was judging a food competition uh, for a TV show, and uh, he was one of the contestants. And I walked in. And everything he had was laid out perfectly. Like his knives were perfectly sharp and washed and like his, his chef coat was pressed. And I looked at the other judge. I was like, Oh, he's going to win. <laughs> and she's like, you just know him. And I, I didn't at the time. Um, he won because his food was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and we ended up talking after and like we bonded over food and, and concepts and farms. And that was, you know, that was a huge part of the turning point in my life. Um, and then that, that business that he was working with or that restaurant group, he decided he wanted to go a different way. Um, I brought him on a farmer's dinner and it was like, it, it was 
it's like drinking from a fire hose sometimes when you work with somebody who you just get you're like whoa you know i was thirsty but like i learned all this stuff and (laughs) and chris was definitely one of those people for me nice i love it so now's a good time to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about your business the farmer's dinner because i'm really interested in this business model especially right now did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that it has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toasttab dot com slash unstoppable you have to use that link to save one thousand dollars okay we're back and um what was so 2012 was the word pop-up like even echoing that much at this point within the restaurant industry like where was pop-ups then like why pop-ups what was going through your mind yeah so i was doing some marketing work for a uh, small agency out of nashua um and like part of my job was to create kind of like community interest projects. So how long had you been out of the industry at this point? Um, not long. Um, okay. I kind of always like circled the industry a bit. I was still, that was a part-time job. So I was still like, you know, cooking a little bit here and there. Um, I did, I, I hit a, a point where I didn't really want to do it. Um, I, we were, when I was an executive, we were sourcing product from, you know, 3,500 miles away and it would be apples. And I'm like, dude, we live in New Hampshire. Yeah. Like, if we can't go work with a farm, what are we doing? Um, so I took this park, uh, part time marketing job and, uh, you know, food was, was an important part for me. Um, so I was like, hey, why don't we have this pop up dinner where we like, I'll go hang out with some farmers, get their interest, and then we'll have the farmers talk. And so the, uh, my boss at the time was like, yeah, run with it. Um, so little did I know. Uh, I ended up spending a lot of time with farmers at that point. Um, I you know, showed up day one on Kimball Fruit Farm, um, and I was like, hey, can I talk to a farmer? And they just laughed at me. And they were like, all right, um, what do you need? And I was like, well, I'm thinking of hosting this like pop-up dinner in Nashua. And I just want, you know, the concept's simple. I just want to like source some food. And then in between the courses, I want a couple farmers to get up and talk about what it's like to farm nowadays. And so um, Carl Hills came out and he's like, wait, you want to do what? Uh, so he, I had no money for this. Like I was just broke at the time. And uh, he's like, yeah, like, all right, I, I see where you're going with it. If it wasn't for Carl, I probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> okay. Well, what was his impact? Um, his impact was massive. He came to the dinner. Um, Carl is just a really well-spoken, down-to-earth human being, donated some product. Um, the chef uh, who ended up doing the dinner was a guy named Joe Drift. Uh, he owned a, an awesome little spot in Nashua at the time, Saffron Bistro. And we sold the thing out really quick, um, just through the channels of... of the company that I was working for. Um, at the end of it, uh, all the people started coming up. They were like, what a great event. And I sat there and I was like, 
I I didn't really think of it as an event, you know, like it was kind of just like yeah, I'm doing my job. And they were like, well, throw another. This is a good event. Um, so then I threw the second one that was independent from uh, from Your the company. Work gig, yeah, yeah. I kind of like left that job. I was, uh, you know, I was, was kind of thinking, well, I don't know what this farmer's dinner thing is, but it was at least fun. So let's do one more. The second one sold out within 24 hours, and we had a 110 person waiting list. Damn. Yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't really expect this. Um, and it was pretty cool. And really credit to Joe Drift and credit to, to the farmers like Kagan and, and, and Carl who came out and showed a lot of support in the beginning. Um, by the time we did the second, I kind of had the concept of like, well, this could be a thing, right? But like, there's no business model to my knowledge that existed for this, yeah. right? Like, what am I going to do? Um, and it was all in restaurants. Um, I said, wow, this would be really cool on a farm, but like, how do you throw a dinner where there's no running water or electricity? Right. You know, it's pretty hard. So um, I decided that I wanted to throw another event, and I partnered with another restaurant uh, just on the outskirts of Nashua and sold that one out again, and that was the biggest one, so, one we so did. So up to this point, you're doing pop-ups, but you're not on the farm yet. You're bringing the farmers to the restaurant, and you're basically just like doing a pop-up with a farmer in a restaurant. Yeah, I was, I was kind of like a liaison between the farmer and the chef. So okay. I know how to speak chef at the time, right? Yeah. Because that was my career. So the chef would be like, why am I going to spend $5.25 a pound for chicken? And I'm yeah. like, well, here's why. It's this biodynamic farm. And they were like, the what? You know, so... I had that's to all learn marketing too. Like that's all a story. Sure, know? but in 2012 in New Hampshire, yeah. you know, you're not you're not really break you're like you're breaking the mold but the you don't see the statue for what it is underneath. Yeah. You know. Like I feel like Evan Mallet at the time was like the yeah. guy like in New Hampshire. My first guest by the way ever on the show Evan Mallet from New Hampshire. No kidding. Uh Black Trumpet, great dude doing great stuff. But he was kind of like the grandpa of like slow food in New Hampshire and like he and maybe a handful of other people uh, Matt Lewis uh, maybe at that time were doing it right you know yeah he's like the OG yeah. um, you know and I didn't even know the seacoast existed in the food scene at the time like it was just complete ignorance yeah. and so I knew that I could speak chef and the chefs were pissed off because everything was expensive so I had to learn how to speak farmer so that's when I started liaisoning between both and saying uh, Debbie at Kimball who kind of runs their, their farm stand I was like like, hey, can I get like apples? And it would be like April. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and I was like, well, when does eggplant grow? So I would start writing this down in a notebook of the seasonality of, of things. Because as chefs, you understand that like we don't have seasons in a restaurant. Like we have this global yeah. supermarket. Yeah. So I had to learn the growing cycles. And then so I spent about six months on local farms just trying to understand how we went from seed to plate. And that journey ended up changing my life where a lot of these chefs in the area were doing what they knew how to do, right? To bring it full circle with the Maya Angelou quote, mm -hmm. you did what you knew how to do. And then I realized my knowing better was the experience at the farms. My doing better to complete that quote would be me taking over. Mm. We would have astronomical. What do you mean do you, me taking over? Taking over the farm? Like, what do you mean by that? Like so me taking farm? over the cooking side okay, of it. Okay, gotcha. So a lot of the farmer, uh, sorry, a lot of the, the chefs were amazing people. Um, and really, really good at what they do, but understand like we're trying to throw a five or six course pop up, and so they would put out you know two pounds of of like pasta, you know, course one, and people would leave with all this food, and I was like, yo, we're, my job is I can't teach them because they're not going to come with me to the farm for ten hours a day. So I was like, I know how to cook. 
why don't I do this? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that changed the game for me. I decided um, I'm going to take this and I'm going to uh, get a commissary kitchen. I'm going to start prepping all this food and I'm going to bring these dinners onto fields and farms. And uh, by 2013 and 2014, my life changed dramatically. Uh, I ended up shutting down Main Street with the help of 11 different restaurants in Nashua and doing 300 people. Um, And we hosted the first uh, farmer's dinner on Main Street and uh, that thing sold out. Um, And it was... It was the work of people like Mike Buckley, um, who just uh, was one of those people who I really learned to look up to. Um, he uh, he has no filter, so when he he's mad at you, you know. And, so Mike uh, Buckley, make, make sure he's behind. Uh, I want I know he's got um, seafood uh, surf yeah. in Portsmouth. He's also got Buckley's. Uh, he started in Nashua. That's where, he, and he's branched out. But I'm from the Seacoast, so what's what's his restaurant group? Yeah, so uh, he, uh, Buckley's Great Steaks. Um, he has in Merrimack. Uh, he's got MT's local. Yeah, he's on um, my radar. You know, I'm coming after you after this interview, right? Yeah, after you um, to this Mike. He's a great dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was funny. So when we did the first farmers dinner on Main Street, he was really a linchpin to this. I mean, the man has has done so much in his career. His wife is incredible. Like, they're just really great people. And so I. I remember we we were done a meeting and he he pulled me to the side and he's like, you know, he's like, I think this is going to be good. And I was like, thanks, chef. You know, I appreciate it. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it, he's an intimidating person. And so I, I looked at him. I was like, you know, uh, like off the cuff question. I was like, how, how did you get started in this? And he kind of like smirked a bit. And he's like, well, you know, MT's was my first restaurant. He's like, I worked so hard. I like slept on the bench most nights there. That's crazy. I think about that. And. At the end of it ended up coming full circle for me. So we ended up doing the the dinner on Main Street. We did this awesome pig roast. Um, Mike and his crew uh, from Buckley's absolutely killed it. Uh, it was beautiful. It was well received. At the end of it, you know, we're all scrubbing the street, doing everything. And I, I look around and I'm like, all right. And so uh, the owner of Villa Banca at the time was like, hey, come on in for drinks. And so. You know, he poured me he poured me a glass of like Johnny Blue, I think, at the time, and I'm like, oh man. And I remember sitting there sipping it and going, and I just needed to get away for a minute, so I went and I looked at the street because I had that visualization of like I, I started this thing in the morning and we all did, and I just wanted to see that moment of what it looked like when everyone was gone. And on his hands and knees is Mike Buckley scrubbing pig grease off the side of the road. And I stop my drink and I run out. And I'm like, chef, chef, like, do you need help? Do you need help? Like, uh, let me help. And he's like, I got this. What did that teach you in that moment? Uh, humility. Um, it taught me that people are only going to respect you for the work that you put in. Uh, it's like, you know, so many people have that story of Thomas Keller of like, and you, know, you walk into his restaurant, and he's sitting there mopping the floors yeah. and that's Vio. Like that's Chris Vio. You know, he's that guy. Um, and it certainly takes a village yeah. <laughs> is what I've learned. But, you know, that lesson with Mike that day was like, I'll never forget that one. Yeah, man, that's huge. I, I'm loving your story right now. Um, what I'm curious about, what I want to ask more, like knowing what you know now, this, this dinner that you just shared with us was number three, four? Uh, that was, I think, probably eight at the time, eight? somewhere around there. So you've done like 70, uh, whatever, like 72 more since then. Yeah. Um, knowing what you know now after doing so many pop-ups and now you're, you're, you're using commissaries, you're going to the farm. It's a lot more of a logistical operation for you. You've learned a lot of things the hard way. I'm sure. What advice do you have for somebody who's like, this sounds like exactly what I want to do. Like what advice do you have like logistically and operationally uh, things that we need to consider to to execute what you have been executing since 2012? Yeah. um, It's, 
it's an immense amount of work. Um, it's, you know, in some ways it's harder than being in a kitchen. Some ways it's easier for sure. Cause I don't, you know, I don't have the grind of every single solitary day. Um, I, the margins are probably less than in restaurants at times. Uh, cause you're, you're renting a kitchen, you know, much like you would have, you know, with a, with a lease. Um, but we, we try to pay everyone really good. Um, you know, I, I always want to keep paying people a little bit more. Well, you don't, you're not going to give them 40 hours in a week. You're no. going to give them one event every few weeks. Right. So like you got to give them reason to, to <laughs> yeah. keep them around. And, and you know, that matters a lot. Like these people are spending their time choosing to do something that I love so much. And this has become a family. Um, I think that would probably be one of my advice points. Like understand that people who have worked farmer's dinner, we've handpicked them. Um, they've become literally family to us. Um, and I wouldn't be here in any way, shape or form if it wasn't for those people. Mm -hmm. I am a, I am a vessel, um, and that, and on my best day, maybe a conduit, mm. but that's about it. So it's just, you're throwing out some variables that people might not consider. Like you're going to have to pay people well because you're not giving them, like we said, 40, 50 hours a week. So there has to, the, 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 the pull has to be there. Um, why you say they have to be family? Like why is like the quality of the relationship so much more important for what you do versus a, a restaurant? Sure. Um, so what we do is we're setting up a restaurant rather than a restaurant set up every day, which is huge. Um, so what we have to do when we, uh, when we set up a farmer's dinner is, you know, you're pulling tables in a hot sun, um, in a, re- in a restaurant, you have air conditioning, you have all those things. Um, we're literally lugging pots and pans to a commissary kitchen. We're setting up a makeshift kitchen and then it's going to be like, so we have a dinner this Saturday. It's going to be 90 degrees out. Like I'm going to be cooking over live fire at 90 <laughs> degrees, you know, that's fun. Yeah. But it's also really hot. <laughs> yeah. And like, we know we're chefs, like we forget to drink water. We forget to do all that stuff. There's, there's something that when you're in a foxhole together, you end up becoming brothers mm. and sisters. And yeah. that's, and it's, it's hard work. I feel you. What about logistically, as far as like tools and services that you use to manage all this? Like, how are you getting the word out? Like, how are people signing up? How are you selling tickets? How are you promoting these events? Yeah, so um, obviously social media is huge for us. Uh, I started a Facebook page a long time ago, and we're close to four thousand, you know, people, which is big in our area. Um, I use a mailing list. Uh, Mailchimp has been really great, um, and then we surpassed, um, you know, their their free quota. So then you start paying it was for like that. A thousand, right? Over a thousand. Yeah, I think yeah. it was over a thousand. We're at like eight grand or something like nice. that now. Um, you know, it's, what are you doing to collect these emails? Um, so in the beginning, we that really was a big thing for us. So we would. I had a clipboard and I just asked for people's email addresses. Um, what we do now, since, you know, we're, we're much more tech savvy. Um, obviously we have kind of a capture. Uh, when you go to the website, there's a thing that, Hey, we offer, uh, three recipes that we love that are farm to table related just for signing up for our email. Yeah. And like, that's that, that famous, you know, give then ask, right. Or like you can't just ask for someone's email. You can, I mean, that's what you're doing. I think that the people that show up to you, people that are going to drive to your event at a farm, I mean, clearly they're a demographic of person. They're going to want to know when the next one is. So if if they're like driving to an event to support something, then ask for an email because they're telling you they want to be there. This is for them. So, but the other thing, like you're saying, like, what's a like an easy pop-up right like what's something that i can create what well, we did at restaurant stoppables we put together a list of all the books ever recommended oh, cool. right like and, and we put together a list of all the tools ever recommended so you just give us your email and we cut 
like 150 hours out of your life to having to not have to research all this stuff. Like That's here's awesome. what's been recommended. Yeah. So like adding value in a short little burst in exchange for an email is a great way to build your list. What else? Yeah. So I love talking about value. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, yeah. you know, jab, jab, punch um, or jab, jab, hook. Sorry. Um, he, you know, he talks about it all the time. Like I, I, I said in the beginning of this, I think, my my greatest asset and also my greatest folly is that I just give a shit about people. Yeah. You know, and and what I try to do is I try to say, hey, listen, just talk to me. In in the beginning, there was this lady who emailed me and she's like, hey, your events look amazing. And uh, I don't think I've told the story. And she she's like, I would die to go. I have a couple of kids. And she's like, I'm going to save up and go. And I was like, I don't want you to be my guest. And like, I wanted to do that. And like, that isn't about me putting out an email saying, look how great I am. Like for me, I want the attention back on the farmers, right? Because if the, the farmer's dinner doesn't exist without the word farmer in the yeah. table, you know, then we're just dinner. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so with us, I, I just, I want to be that person who, like I said, you know, is a firefly in the mist of darkness. Like I can't be a lantern. I can't mm-hmm. be a lighthouse. Now that's, that's too much pressure. Like, yeah. But if I can just light up a little bit and we can all do that, it changes the game. I love it, man. That's great stuff. So back to the logistics of this, um, you're collecting emails. What about like actually selling a ticket? How do you sell a ticket online? Yeah. So we, uh, our system is pretty easy. You just go to the farmers com, And then, so we use WooCommerce plugin. Uh, our CMS is, is WordPress. Um, we were able to hook it up through Stripe, real simple, straightforward. And so somebody can go in, purchase a ticket, has all our disclaimers on there. Um, you know, Hey, you're going to a farm, so please don't wear your stilettos. So what about those disclaimers? Is there like, is this something that you just build up over time? As like like simple reminders, or like is that a legality thing too? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, so with us, our dinners, our dinners are difficult, right? So if you walk in and you go, "Hey, purchase ticket." P.S. I'm gluten free, vegan, and I don't really like olive oil. Yeah, I'm screwed. So <laughs> one of the disclaimers is when you purchase a ticket, if you have any dietary restrictions, please place it in the little comment section, and that goes to us. You learn that by screwing that up in the beginning. Yeah. You know, it's all of your failures lead to successes. Um, you know, our dinners are predicated on the weather. Like shitty days mean, you know, we're having shitty days too. Yeah. And so that's like an important part of it. Um, other things that I think are important that we learn throughout the course of it is um, I don't want to tell you what you're eating very far out. Um, so we have done 380 different courses and we've never repeated one. Um, once something happens at a farmer's dinner, it's, it's buried forever. Um, I, I want to do that because I wanted to show the diversity of local products that, you know, I, you can make a summer vegetable pizza, but how many times, like I want somebody to go, I can only have this once and I'm never going to have it again. Mm, That's pretty cool. That is cool. Um, so with the website, you had the WordPress website, you're using what plugin again? Uh, so, uh, we're using, um, uh, See, now you just asked me. I know. I just want to make sure Uh, that I'm sorry. WooCommerce. WooCommerce. Yeah. Uh, It's a simple plugin that allows you to connect to Stripe, which is the, the, how you're charging people. They're paying through Stripe. Yeah. They take their cut. Um, And then you're also able with Woo to put in disclaimers. What else can you get from that, that service? That's Woo's cool. Cause uh, we sell merch through there. Uh, We have shirts and hats and like books and stuff like that. Um, So we can, I don't know if you guys have a, if you're watching the video, I don't know if you've seen these strategically placed (laughs) lovely books uh, right here on the table. 
able. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, we can do that. Uh, we also use a, an an add on called Event uh, Event Ticket Pro, okay. and that gives us like a whole calendar of events. That's how we generate. Our, so it's another plugin, or does it pull people off of your website and put them onto? No, it, it, it's all integrated seamlessly. Nice. We we don't want anyone to have to leave the site. Like if it's more than three clicks, we kind of screwed up. You know, yeah. um, we have no attention span nowadays. Yeah, so. I feel that. Uh, so that's like the core of it. I mean, it's really simple and straightforward. Um, yeah, beautiful. Good to know. Um, so anything else that would like, if, if somebody's listening to this and they're in California or, and they're like, this is a cool angle or like whatever. Um, and they want to try to re- replicate what you've done. Any other like little tips of the trade after doing 80 of these? Yeah. Uh, have a really good commissary kitchen. Uh, the investment is more than we thought in the beginning. Cause like you're having to buy pots, pans and like large quantity stuff. Cause yeah. depending on what you want to do uh, for us, 50 people was manageable as we started to grow more and do events for 125, 175, and then 325. Um, it requires a lot more of an army. Um, washing five courses of dishes for 300 people is really crappy. Would it be cheaper to rent the dishes? So we did for a while, um, but then you look at cost projections over time. And it ends up being cheaper to own it. So it's that constant back and forth. Like if you really, really, really want a restaurant or you really want to do this industry, learn how to do great spreadsheets and crunch numbers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I need to find somebody who's good at that. If I'm going to open a restaurant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So the other thing I'm curious about, uh, so you're charging $89 a head for these. Um, What percent profit do you get on that? Yeah. So, um, it depends on how big the dinner is. So if we end up doing larger dinners and we can buy things at bulk um, for for farms and stuff, it ends up we get a little bit better of a cut. Um, so at times you're sitting there at 10 to 15. Um, at, at times we've done dinners that have made a little bit more than that, which was cool too. Um, but about 10% is your return on investment for some so of this the, stuff. the percentages aren't too far off from the restaurant industry. They're not. And sometimes they're worse too. I mean, understand that our, our margins go to shit if it rains and we need to tent this whole thing. Okay. Um, tent rentals are insanely expensive. So if you're doing a dinner for 300 people and you're taking 10%, you're taking right around just shy of $3,000. So you're, you're putting in your pocket. Yeah. Uh, depending again, depending on a lot of different factors, there's, we did one dinner that was more than double that for sure. Um, you know, it, it depends on, so we'll bring in guest chefs and if the guest chefs like, Hey, I want to do, um, foie gras, you know, it's going to change the game. Yeah. I hear you. Um, I guess the reason why I'm so interested in these pop-ups right now, the thing, the, the appeal is because within the restaurant industry, there's a lot of regulation and restriction around what we can do in our restaurants. Right. Mm-hmm. But these events are on private property. They're at the farm and there's no limitation on what you can do on those farms really. So I feel like this, you like in the next, depending on what the, the future looks like, um, this is going to be a huge opportunity to, What's going on, man? <laughs> don't, don't be shy. Uh, I, I told Keith before this. He's like, I might have my roommate walk through. I'm like, dude, I, I do these interviews in restaurants on site. Right. Like, worst things have happened during the <laughs> recording. We'll be fine. Um, so I think there's just, a, if, if we're going to be like, who knows how long these restrictions are going to be around. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're going to see a lot more private events, a lot more catering. And I think that this is something that we can do, even if it's just for the, for the short term, to re- get ourselves away from, the all the restrictions what are your thoughts on that yeah so uh, i mean even though we're on private property we do it 
Some oh, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, we have a huge responsibility, yeah. man. Like the last thing I want to do is be a super spreader event. Like, yeah. come on, man. Like the amount of guilt I would feel is insane. Um, so right now we're limiting all of our events to fifty people. Uh, that was the mandate that Charlie Baker and, and Mass wanted, and so we're cool with that. You know, um, it's much better financially for our company if we could do our dinners of one hundred and twenty-five plus. Yeah, there is no question at all. Times have hit us really, really hard. Um, but the good news is I can go to sleep at night going, hey, instead of having one long table like we typically have, we group everything into if you buy a six top, you're getting your own table. If you buy a four top, you actually get your own table too. Um, two tops are spread six feet you know, apart. We're in masks the entire time. You're six foot distance from any other person. That breaks the aesthetic of our dinner tremendously. Yeah. It sucks. I bet. But what we try to do is up the love even more. We try to be really responsible with the food that we're putting out. We try to... We have a list of names, obviously, so we can contact trace anything that needs to be. Like, this is... We're in an unprecedented time, and God, do I hate that, Mm. right? I'm so tired of that. Um, But the reality is, like... We all have a responsibility in our own kitchens, even before this, not to get anyone sick. Yeah. How much more do we have now to just make somebody feel comfortable? Yeah. You know, I, f- I feel like everybody has a responsibility to everybody to make sure we're safe. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if it's fair to put the sole burden on the, the small business owner to make it. Because at what point, I mean, if you're going to an event, unless you're living under a rock, you know that it's inherently more risky to be out right yeah. now. So the, when do we pass some of the responsibility onto the consumer. For that's sure. the thing that I like, you know, I know maybe that's another topic for another day, <laughs> but, um, I just think that this is a really interesting angle. Um, the one thing we haven't covered, and I'm curious if it's different for pop-ups or this, this business model you have is permitting. Like you, you obviously need to become an LLC or not an LLC, but a business entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need an EIN number. Um, what do you need? different permitting or uh, licenses to be able to do what you're doing? Yeah. So we, uh, we need really good insurance. (laughs) Um, So we have to have um, anytime that we go to a facility, we indemnify them as well. Um, to make sure that they're on our insurance as well. Um, so there's a lot of, like every event, you're kind of updating your insurance. Uh, that matters a lot. Um, obviously, when it comes to working in commissary kitchens, we need to make sure it's a fully licensed commissary kitchen. Yeah. Back to the insurance. Is there yeah. any like elements of the insurance, key words that are specific or unique to what you're doing that need to be on that insurance? Yeah. So uh, the first thing that we learned the hard way is being able to make changes to the insurance when it comes to who is listed. Okay. Like I kind of just mentioned there, that was important. So we take out a $2 million aggregate, Wow, you know, um, and, and that's that thankfully we, we haven't had any occurrences that need to be, but you're on a farm. Like I cannot stress this enough. Like there's sight smells. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're like, please understand that like driving up in your lowered Corvette is not going to be a good idea on a farm. (laughs) You know? So it's, um, so we have to like prep people because it's amazing how many people still don't go to farms, yeah. right? Where they don't realize like, oh man, that's going to smell weird at times or it's, there's going to be some mud there. Our, our job is to, to try to make it the nicest situation possible given everything that goes on. I love it. You know farmers well enough. I have this question. Maybe it's not really relative. We might edit this out. Who knows? <laughs> I had this idea when, back when I was really serious about buying an RV, travel the country for the podcast, still on my radar, that how cool would it be just to like ask a farm if I could park on their farm in return, I would promote their farm to that 
that community of restaurants. Would a farmer be interested in that? So here's why they will. Farmers are not marketers. <laughs> I cannot stress this enough. Like yeah. they like might have like a ragtag Facebook with like a couple of like iPhone four images. Yeah. But like the reality is like they don't know how to put together any sort of marketing and I don't blame them for it. Yeah. They're so, on field, but they're in the field all day. Yeah. Right. Which is why our job at farmers dinners be like, look at how cool these farmers are. Yeah. Go there now. I, I'm going to revisit that idea. You need to, man. You're just a walking like business like, uh, encyclopedia up there. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, um, okay. I'm loving this conversation, man. Uh, we've covered a lot. Um, there, there was one element. Uh, you recently opened a restaurant in 2019, the end of 2019, less than a year ago, about a year ago is when you were opening your restaurant. Um, what happened? Because you're, you're no longer a part of that restaurant. Well, first, tell us about that experience, opening your, your very first restaurant. Like, what mix of, like, I mean, just take us through take us through that whole experience. Um, it's insane. I It was a really hard time in my life. So, um, Chris uh, Chris really wanted to open a restaurant. And Chris, is, you mentioned a few times. Yeah, actually. Chris Vio uh, was my partner for that and uh, came on for farmer's dinner. And then we opened our first restaurant together. Uh, last year. And, you know, I, I was going through so much stuff. My mom was terminally sick. Um, she had cancer and then she passed away. I'm sorry. Um, I was finishing the farmer's dinner cookbook with Chris who co-wrote it. Um, I was just, I had like a lot of personal life stuff going on. And to say that that point was difficult would be probably the biggest understatement I could ever make. When you have that type of grief, it fundamentally changes you. Um, Chris, uh, we, we, Originally, Chris and I kind of wanted to open a, a 30 to 50 seat restaurant. Uh, we ended up opening a 100 seat restaurant. Uh, we, we found this cool place in Milford, New Hampshire and went from there. Um, and then, you know, dealing with the opening side of things and just how much stress it is. Anyone who's ever opened a restaurant, you know, you're like, oh, I need 100,000 for this. You need like 500. You know, it's <laughs> whatever you think you know, you don't know. Yeah. Um, great experience. Um, great partner. And subsequently wrong timing for some of my, my part in life, you know, where I was dealing with all of that. I ended up working on front of the house. I didn't have a ton of front of the house experience, but I'm really good at picking things up quick. Um, hired a general manager. Who's just the man. Uh, he was an old friend of mine, did an amazing job, still does an amazing job. And then it was kind of Chris's concept in the back with the food. And it was amazing. Uh, we won best new restaurant in the state, uh, year one. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Um, we hired an amazing staff of people who basically are all still there. Uh, you know, went through some growing pains for sure with some of the staff, but that's, that's to be expected. Yeah. And then I got to the point where, you know, COVID hit and it was, you know, we kind of, we kind of have to go, well, there's no playbook for this. And, you know, I wanted to do one thing. The rest of the group wanted to do another. Um, that's painful. That's difficult. But the good thing that, that, I saw through it is Chris does a really good job of, of thinking about things um, with a lot of compassion. You know, he's always kind of been the person who's like, I want to do this fair. I think, you know, that's, that's one of the testaments to, to who he is as a person and his family's amazing too. They're just the coolest people ever. Um, This was an opportunity, you know, it was, it was a lot of strife within the group, right? You know, where you're dealing with a conflict of ideologies of how we move forward. But at the end of the day, I finally said, I need to leave. Like, I need to take a step back. And my heart wasn't in this. Like, I'm a chef. You know, I, I miss cooking. I miss being at farms. Um, I miss 
like doing stuff like this. I miss writing books. Mm. Like this was the stuff that's that's so much a fabric of who I am, and I felt like I didn't get to tap into that as much as I wanted. Mm. You know, and that was hard. Um, I left something that I loved so much with people that I loved, and I learned a really important lesson. And I think that lesson was you can disagree with people, but it doesn't make them bad people. You know, I think that, you know, obviously things weren't perfect. You know, I don't know what perfect would have looked like, but looking back on it, I, I want to be able to close this chapter in my life and say, you know, I learned a lot of lessons. (laughs) Um, I had an amazing ride with this and I continued to be able to be a friend to somebody. Yeah. What are the biggest lessons you learned? Um, partnerships are hard. Yeah. But I think, you know, if Chris was sitting here, he would probably echo the same thing. Like, we're both really lucky we found each other. Mm-hmm. And I still say that. You know, a lot of partnerships, when they, they end, they don't get to say that. They're like, F that guy. Yeah. You know? um, but there's nothing bad to say about Chris. We had a difference in the way that we wanted to run some things. And that's okay. Yeah. Like conflict is inevitable. And that's, that's like part of it. You know, um, he just won like most inventive or creative chef in the state, like best of best. And like, he freaking deserves that. The dude's a rock star and I hope everyone goes there. And yeah, it's hard to say that sometimes. Right. Cause like I left a part of me there. Yeah. No, listening to you talk, I mean, just can't, I can't help but think like the, the importance of a vision, right? And I'm not saying you guys didn't have vision because you definitely have vision, but like something, this is striking near and dear to my heart too. Cause I was just working on restaurant unstoppable and I'm Casey and I are very open about this. Like we, you know, like we were working together to grow this thing. Uh, we decided that we weren't, we, it felt like our visions weren't the same for the roles within the, within restaurant unstoppable. And like, it's so important to get this stuff out to talk about, like not necessarily, not just, just where we're going, like what, what's like the business going to look like, like what are the things we're going to be doing, but what do our roles within the business look like and who's going to be responsible for what? And like, what's that going to look like? And it sounds like it's so overkill, but the thing is when you get these things out, when you start sharing what your thoughts were, what your roles are going to look like when then you, then you get much more intentional and you know that when uh, two years down the line, when you're not doing what you said you were going to do, you know, like if you can get if you can get ahead of that by just having conversations. Um, so knowing what you know now, everything you know now, what would you have done differently? To I mean, maybe there wasn't anything else you could have done differently. Uh, that that's an answer too. But like knowing what you know now, would you have set the partnership up differently? Would you have communicated differently in the beginning? Yeah, I um, I think. I think I probably would have, you know, it's hard. So I sit here and I go, I have so like, I have so much love for him, his family and all of the people who work there. Yeah. And that's like no bullshit. Yeah. Like, so if I did anything to alter that and I wouldn't have love for them, then I wouldn't do anything yeah. differently. But I think like it was a, I was a first time owner, yeah. right? And and so is Chris, obviously. Um, So the stress of that, I think we made mountains out of molehills sometimes. Um, I know that I did. Mm -hmm. You know, I I certainly think I would have slowed the process down and not grown as fast. I think that was a mistake. I think I, I really would have spent more time kind of understanding a deeper level of this business Mm -hmm. that I, I just 
I did my best. It's the Maya Angelou quote again, right? Yeah. It's coming back to haunt us. Yeah. I really did, you know, what I knew how to do at that time. Um, and I, I'm thankful that through this process, which understand has been hard. Like yeah. it's not easy to talk about this stuff, but no. like, this is the reason why. Because you could go to like any resource and, re- and get any template of a, a checklist or a spreadsheet and plug those things into your business. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like it's hard to learn about partnerships and how to communicate and how to set things right. up and how to manage relationships, specifically the people that own equity in your business. You know, like that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, and that's why we need to talk about this stuff because this is the stuff that will blindside you if you have no experience or you have no idea what to anticipate or the things that could even happen. Right. So I think one of the things that both Chris and I did, and there was moments, you know, where I think we swayed from this, but like we understood that like the person that I'm sitting there looking at is a good human being. Yeah. Like he freaking is, you know? And so it's easy to get wrapped up in the emotions of the moment, but I, I never thought that like, Oh man, who did I, you know, who did I become a partner with? Like what a jerk. Like, not at all. Yeah. Like, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to talk about that stuff, but it's hard in the, in the ways of like, Hey, you know, I just got out of this really great relationship and, and like we broke up because we just weren't right for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that person's still awesome. Yeah. Being able to have the ability to separate the actions from the human being is a lesson that I think I learned there. And I, I hope that, you know, you know, when he sees this, you know, I hope that he says, you know, yeah, he nailed it. You know, that's yeah. it too. I want every single person who hears this to go support him and his family because that dude works harder than anyone ever. And he's amazing. I love it. Um, anything we have not discussed up to this point, anything you were hoping we would discuss? I mean, we, you do have your books. I don't know if you have any advice around creating other channels of revenue and being more of an entrepreneur and not just a restaurateur. Yeah, uh, I, I try to diversify a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, you know, the the cookbooks were a really amazing opportunity uh, to just kind of tell a story, uh, which is really what I try to do, right? Just, we're just storytellers. Yeah. Um, and I, I think other than that, I, uh, I, th- I think of entrepreneurship a lot like the difference between passion and desire. Like passion is that thing is, you know, you get in a new relationship and you got that, that honeymoon period and they can do no wrong and they're wonderful. And then all of a sudden eh, you start saying, oh, well, like it's annoying when, you know, she leaves the light on or all that stuff. Desire. So passion is that thing that, that fuels you in the beginning. Desire is the ability to get up each day and to continue to put your all in it, even when you don't have that feeling. Mm. And there's, believe me, I've been through a lot of stuff in the last two years. There's a lot of times in my life where in the last two years, I just wanted to call it quits. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get out of bed. And there's still days like that. I have days like that with Restaurant Unstoppable. Right. You know, I think this past year has been a real test. Like, yeah. I mean, Jared will tell you how long we've been working to build up Restaurant Unstoppable to the point where I could travel across the nation and be able to support those who come with me. Then awesome. COVID-19 hits, you know, and it's right. like backpedal a few years, you know? Um, but I think a lot of people can relate to that right now. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the important thing to say, right? Like I, I appreciate your story so much. Cause like we always see that, that beautiful picture of social media of like, Hey, look, he's doing it again. Yeah. Like Eric's so cool. You know, like all this stuff. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's, it's easy for me. I wrote two books, you know, I did all this stuff, but like, understand that like I'm still going through the the sadness of you know losing losing a restaurant and you know that's not easy but you still have a lot of love and you know the sadness of my mom and that all that stuff doesn't go away it just becomes a little bit different instead Mm of the 20 foot wave it becomes a 10 foot wave and then a swell and all that other stuff yeah Yeah, right man I love this I really enjoyed our conversation Um, the only other thing that's popping into my head right now I know that you've 
generated a lot of revenue for these farms in that those numbers that we shared, I think it was 140,000. Yeah. Um, is that just the money that you're um, using to purchase the food from the farm that goes back? Are you, is, is, is that how you're, is that the number that you're looking at? Yeah. So that's a lot of it right there. Yeah. Um, we've also been able to be really blessed to, to partner with a couple of uh, agencies that help. Uh, so there's a thing called easement, like when you can put your land into easement, uh, with farms, they're often on a 99-year lease, which is such a weird thing that yeah. they do. Um, a lot of the farms want to own their land so that they can make the infrastructure changes to grow. And uh, there's a gentleman named Ian McSweeney who uh, who works with the Agrarian Trust Foundation. And we've been able to partner with him on several different uh, farm dinners to help raise funds toward that. And even now, we're, we're working with the Agrarian Trust to, um, to help the Somali Bantu community in Maine uh, purchase their farm. Um, and they have an incredible story. You can find out that on our website, thefarmstander.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one other thing that I want to make sure we bring to the surface before we go to the uh, bring to the surface before we go to the speed round is this idea of like for all those restaurateurs who are listening to this that would say, "Oh, I wish I could support local farms, but that's just outside of like that's just not possible." Um, what's your message for those people? that could be making more of an effort to source locally and to support their local com- uh, economies. Yeah. Um, stop being lazy. No, like, like seriously. Um, it, it is, we're living in this age where it's not hard to support local farms anymore. And it starts by going to build a connection with those farms. Um, you've got at least one day off, I promise. And yeah. if you don't make at least two hours to take a trip to a farm, introduce yourself and figure out how to make this happen. Yeah. I think it comes, I mean, it takes a lot and there's a lot of like, let's be honest, a lot of people, depending on where you are in the nation right now, your, your demographic might not be willing to support you supporting your farmer. Yeah. And that's a real scenario that plays out. What's your, what's your message to those people who say like, if I put an $8 burger on my menu or a $10 burger on my menu or a $12 burger on my menu, depending on where you are and how big the burger is like my, customers just won't buy that like that won't fly here like what's your message to them uh you're a chef and your job is to educate Mm. right like our job when we put out a dish that's part of our message that we're putting out to that customer and they're ingesting that Mm -hmm. and so i cannot say enough that the reception for people um who want to support local farms through the medium of restaurants farmers dinner pop-up events um you're going to see it everywhere now yeah it's not a a fad anymore yeah give me the elevator pitch uh for the restaurateur who's justifying the cost of that burger yeah um so it starts by understanding that there's certain marketing terms that you should be using you know grass-fed um is one of them uh organic is a little bastardized but it's still a, a buzzword that makes sense um one of the things that we do and i encourage everyone to do this is if you put a local burger on the menu and that price tag is 16 or 18 dollars explain why yeah and one of the reasons one of the ways you can do that is saying hey this beef comes from four miles away yeah or 14 miles away Yep. When the average meal travels 1,500 miles until it reaches your plate. Yeah. You know, I, I think it just comes, I mean, there's so much information out there now. Like, I mean, if anybody watches Netflix, they know that there's a, a documentary around every corner about yeah. how our decisions with especially food decisions, the impact that has on earth. And I think that we've kind of hit a ceiling with how, how good we can get food. I think that we've, we've gotten to the point where we realize, oh, it's not just about how I cook it. It's about how I grow it. And it's not about just how we grow it. It's about growing it as close to the natural way as possible. And, oh, wow, when we do this, the, the earth is better. The earth likes it more, too. And then once we start realizing, well, if we can make the earth healthier, then we can make even more healthy food. Like, and, you know, I think like, eventually like, when you look at like, the, the trend of people trying to be as healthy as possible, they're going to realize that 
the way that I, I become as healthy as possible is when I eat food that's been raised as humanely as possible and people are selfish. You've got to make it about them. Yeah. So if you, if you can connect those dots and let people know that, Hey, if you eat this food, it's going to be the best thing for you. Right. And everything that touches that, you yeah. know, for everyone, I think that's the, 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 the next message. I we think vote with our dollar, yeah, right? Like, for sure. And, and if I spending more on a burger, but I know that that money goes back to local farms, that's a win. Yeah. That's a huge yeah. win. I agree with everything that's been dropped today, man. This has been a great conversation. I'm trying to wrap up every free-flowing portion of the conversation with uh, this question. So the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you transformed as a human and just as a professional? Yeah, great question. Um, I think I've transformed by um, embracing my failures. Um, and believe me, there's a lot of them, right? I, uh, I th- we talked about you know not having a, a clear definition of success all the time. Um, my def- definition of success now means to be a little bit better every day. I want to be a great business owner. I want to be a great person. And I want to be able to leave this planet just a little bit better than I found it. I love it. Great stuff. One more quick f- break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right what is going on? Unstoppable. So I want to use this space to create awareness about what we're doing with Restaurant Unstoppable Network, where basically I'm bringing together my most loyal listeners and my network to learn, to share knowledge, to to transform the industry. Uh, this, this platform is literally the space to do that, to bring everybody together. And we have a really great week lined up for you. So obviously, uh, Keith's episode went live today on Monday. Tomorrow, Tuesday uh, at 2 p.m., Keith is going to join us live in the network on Zoom, and basically we're going to be uh, talking about his episode. So I, I mean, I do my best to ask all the questions to pull out as much information and knowledge as possible. But sometimes there's just that one question, you guys. I'm sure you wish I asked, or one more layer deeper I went. And this time, Shop Talk is literally that time to go deeper, to ask your questions, to connect with my network of restaurant tours and people willing to share their knowledge with the next generation of leaders. So uh, be sure to uh, join us live tomorrow. You got to join the, the network. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 742 and I'll have a link to a 30-day trial so you guys can get in there and join the conversation for free to try it out. And then later in the week on a Wednesday, we have Chris Schultz from Voodoo Donut joining us previously with Mod Pizza and Starbucks. And what he does is he helps companies scale. He did it with Mod. He did it with Starbucks. And now he's planning on doing it with Voodoo. And basically what we're talking about during that conversation, this live workshop, again, it's live. You can join us if you're in the network, is or we're going to be talking about when you know it's time to scale or when you know you're ready to scale. So that's an incredible conversation. Then also every Tuesday and every Thursday of the week, I make myself available for an hour uh, on Tuesdays for a book book club. We're reading the E-Myth right now. If you want to talk about implementing the lessons from the E-Myth and then every Thursday, it's office hours. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the show notes, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 742. I'll have a link in the show notes to get your first 30 days free and to be a part of the conversation and to help transform the industry. This is where to go. All right, guys, back to the show. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, a book called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, and um, that book is your it factor. Get into that. Why? Uh, so four simple agreement uh, agreements that you make with yourself. Uh, one is to not take things personally. Two is to uh, um, not make assumptions. Uh, another one is to be impeccable with your word. And finally, always do your best. And uh, they're kind of like guide guide marks for you to uh, always check where you're at. 
Yeah, I love those. I think our, my, my exercise this week and next week is going to be working on my core values. Yeah. I'm going to have to work those ones in there. You got this, man. A little pitch, a little... Uh, a little actually, when will this be live? Oh, never mind. This won't be live until after our, uh, our workshop Ooh. with Rudy Mick on core values. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> um, what is your biggest weakness today? Uh, me. Honestly, um, you know, I, I want to be healthy in mind and body. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm starting to finally get my mind back. It's time that I, you know, focus on those other aspects as well. Yeah. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? So when you're looking to grow your team, what are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for somebody who is ready to kind of take their career to the next level, but also understands that, you know, um, we're in this because we're creatives. And I don't, I don't want somebody to, to paint the picture. I want them to add a color. Mm, I like that. That's cool. Um, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, biggest challenge today is to not let my past grief control who I am during the course of a day. Does that make sense? Don't let your past grief control who you are in a day. Yeah. You know, we, uh, so the nation and everyone in the world kind of grieving, we went through COVID. We've lost a lot. Yeah. I've personally, like I said, you know, talked about my mom and Steve and all these other people. Um, I, it's easy to, to become your pain and your trauma. And I'm working on even just saying that is hard, right? Cause like people are going to watch this. They're going to be like, yeah. oh, what a bitch. Uh, <laughs> what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is a, uh, Something that we do that go above and beyond what's expected from us. I love that. Um, I think that one of the things that we always try to do is is to instill a uh, a message of we want somebody to feel like they're walking into their own into into our home, right? Where they're like, "Whoa, this is this is an amazing." Uh, Chris actually used to say this when when we first started opening up. He's like, "I want." Um, we had a picture of my mom that that's that picture over there that uh, that was on the bar. Um, there's there's little Easter eggs around around the restaurant that chef put in and I got to put in um, that mean a lot to us. Mm, I love that. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Well, I dropped the four agreements, yeah. so I'm going to give you a bonus one nice. on top because the four agreements is is gold. Um, I would say, oh man, there's so many I could pop off the top of my head. Uh, for me, it's a lot about finding out uh, a lot of internal stuff. So I would say. Uh, uh, Melody Beattie wrote a really good book about attachment, um, and and so I would say that you know, and it's it's a weird answer, but to be a good person in, in the hospitality world, you have to understand that you have to love people. Mm, I love it. Um, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I think they don't. They forget what it's like to be the server. Um, we forget. You know, they'll do the work, um, but I, I think we, we often overlook that people have bad days. Um, it's hard. This world isn't, isn't always easy. It's, always, it's not always sunshine and rainbow. So I think making sure that we understand that we're not better, we're just different. Yeah. Uh, so these next two questions are really just trying to help good people connect with good people, the services and tools you're using. So name one service you've hired. So a company that you've gone to for service that's been incredible, whether it was consulting or specific work they did for you. What is that company and how can we find them? Uh, a lot of cool ones, actually. It's a great Drop question. Them on us. Um, so Toast. Uh, yes. So we use Toast for a POS system. And... Uh, we did a lot of research in POS. <laughs> um, I got to admit, their customer service was just unparalleled. Um, 
we've used them. Uh, so Chris ended up, uh, ended, ended up opening a sandwich shop down the road and he uses toast for that as well. Um, love toast. Great people. Yeah. Uh, toast is my only sponsor right now. What? We're doing a CPA sponsorship with them. Meaning if you use our link, if you go to toasttab.com slash unstoppable right now, you use that link. You cannot have made prior contact with toast. Uh, they will send us a check for $2,500 and we will split our commission with you if you use that link. That's so cool. uh, I don't know of a better, so th- I think toast is offering up to a thousand dollars worth of incentives. We're going to match that. So I don't know of a better deal out there. So for the record, I did not know that. Yeah, just some like, props. It's, yeah. Not it's by far the most yeah. recommended POS on the show. You said you had a couple. Was there any other ones you wanted to mention? Yeah. Um, so some of the vendors that we ended up working yeah. with, I think we're, so we're really the, the next question I was going to ask you is what's one technology. So we'll just went out of order. So now you can drop the vendors. On okay, us. cool. Um, so Dolan Bailey's done a really good job. Like, you know, we didn't, so with our restaurant, we use a lot of farms, um, but we have to augment it with some other things too, you know? So I think that they, they've been, uh, really good. Black river produce was another one. Um, that we got to tour a lot of their facilities. Uh, I was really happy with them. And then uh, Sid, Sid Wainer as well. Um, Sid Wainer, their products are always really good. And uh, I know some of the reps that work there, and I've got to be really good friends with them. And their stuff was great too. So Nice. All right. We'll be sure to link to those in the show notes. And this is the last question. It's a doozy, so get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Damn, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, one... Uh, to tie into that question, legacy is greater than currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent a lot of my life poor, so I thought chasing money was going to make it better. Doesn't. Uh, two, um, we life is about letting go. Um, it's about letting go of the expectations that we have for ourselves, but also on others. And uh, three, um, I think three would be <laughs> we uh, we don't define people with our judgments. Our judgments define us. Mm. I love it, man. This has been a great chat. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I find my future guests in the show. So who's one restaurant tour, somebody you respect and admire. And if, if I had them on the show tomorrow, you'd be tuning in for sure. Yeah. Oh, he's going to kill me. Uh, I think you should talk to Chris. I'd love to talk to Chris. Chris is, is really one of the chefs I still look up to. Great businessman, hard ass worker. And, uh, I think you guys would have a blast. Chris, look, I'm coming after you and I'm going to get Chris Himmel back on the show too. Himmel. Yeah. Cause I think that, um, one of the, the, I'm kind of going through my own little journey too. this, this past like six months, eight months have been crazy. One of the things I realized exactly to the compound of, of what you said, it's about the journey, you know, and I'm going so fast trying to find the next person. I've forgotten that there's 700 amazing people I've already <laughs> connected with that I would love to reconnect with and go deeper. And it's not about how many people, you know, you know, it's about the quality of those relationships, um, which is why I need to get Chris Himmel back on the show because he was a great guest. And there's just so much more. I know I can pull out of these individuals that we've already had on the show. So, uh, Thank you so much, Keith. We have to ask, uh, what's the best way for us to, to connect with you? Um, where can we find your books? Uh, how can we contact you if we want to reach out to you? What's the best way to connect? Sure. Uh, KeithSaracen.com. You can find my books, all that fun stuff. Uh, Instagram, Keith Saracen, and then Facebook, Chef Keith Saracen. I'm really pretty, easy. I'm pretty sure this is going to be episode 742. Damn. Congratulations. So, thank man. you, man. Thank you very much. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 742. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as all those tools and services and books recommended and how to connect with uh, Keith over there. Just I can't say it enough. Thank you so much. And there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. 
Thanks, man. Thank you. Cheers. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Keith Saracen, dude, you crushed it. Thank you so much. Some great advice on pop-ups, some great advice on just shifting your core values, uh, going inward, getting clarity on who you are and what most matters to you and going after that and uh, just tons of good stuff. I know you guys found value from today's chat. I know I did. And I think really where I found value is just the, in this idea of vulnerability. Um, it's something that I'm not very good about getting vulnerable with you guys. Uh, another thing that came up today is this idea of jab, 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 right hook, which is Gary Vanderjuk's, uh model of marketing where you give, 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 and then you come out with a big ask. And the more you give, the more you can get is the idea behind that. And those ideas of vulnerability and giving, 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 and asking is something I need to be better about. So the truth is, guys, I'm struggling right now um, because I can't sell ad space. And that was the overwhelming majority of my revenue was going to the products and services that my guests were recommending and then getting them to sponsor the show. And I was only promoting the products and services that we trusted. Uh, but right now, uh, you know, it's it's getting tough because all those companies that were sponsoring the show, their cash flow dried up when restaurants had to close. Um, and they're still very conservative. They're very, they're still very apprehensive about spending money and, and I don't blame them. And quite frankly, I don't want to sell ad space to them because I can't promise that they're going to get a return on their investment. It's just a weird time right now. Um, but the long story short is guys, I'm at the end of my rope right now. I, I can't really go much longer without making money. Um, and, Everything that I'm doing within Restaurant Unstoppable right now, building this network is is kind of a, a, as a result of reacting to the new normal. And it was kind of a, the kick in the ass I needed to to get creative and to provide more value to you, my listeners. And really what I'm trying to do there is is be more intentional. So uh, we, we're talking right now on the show. Uh, last week, we had Ari Weinswag talking about visioning. Uh, this week, we're going to have... Rudy Mick back on the show to talk about core values. This is all very intentional, guys, because I'm doing a lot of inward reflection, visioning for the future to figure out where I want to be and what I want to be. And my vision for the future of Restaurant Unstoppable is basically just being much more high touch, much more intentional, much more transformative. Um, when I close my eyes and I think about what I want my future to be, I, I just want to be Eric Cacciatore. And what that means to me is I just want to love and be loved. And if I can love and be loved, if I have your love and I can give you my love and I can connect with people on an intimate, more personal level, I think I'll be much happier. And I want Restaurant Unstoppable Network to be that place. And guys, I'm not the person that has all the answers. I'm absolutely not that person. I'm that person that knows who does have the answers. And quite frankly, I'm not the all-star. I Working in the restaurant industry, I always love supportive roles. I always love to support the rock stars. I was that person that was always making sure that everyone I worked with loved me because of how much I was looking out for them, how much I was supporting them in their role. And that's what I see my role with restaurant unstoppable being is this, the person that just loves the people in this industry and wants to support the people in this industry so I can get that love back. And I I really just want security and I want to take care of the people that are helping me execute this guys. I owe Jared 
like at least $2,000. I haven't been able to pay him for helping me with the podcast because my cash flow dried up. I can't even begin to express how grateful and fortunate I am to have people like Jared in my corner who are, who know my mission, who know that they're, that they're, that, that it's not just about the money. He, he's not in this for the money. He knows what we're doing. He knows the impact we're having and he knows that there's nothing I can do. And I, and like, Fortunately, he's good with his money. He put plenty away in savings, so he's got a runway, but we can't do this forever. I need to I need to do right by the people helping me, guys. Um, this is where I am. This is this is my vulnerability. I, I need help. Uh and I need to ask for it. And the this is how you can help me is by helping me help you join the network uh, be a part of this network it's $30 a month $1 a day to be interactive to to connect with me for at least 3 hours a week i'm making myself available and if we can get guys thousands and thousands and thousands of people listen to the show i get emails weekly from people that tell me the show is changing their lives if you're one of those people, if you found value from this show and you want to say thank you, the best way to say thank you is by being a part of this network. Um, and literally, if, if we can get less than 10% of you guys to join the network, that's 300 people that I can cover all my expenses. I can bring Jared on full time. I can give him security. I can give myself security and we can do a top notch show. Um, and what you can do to help is to a join the network $1 a day, be a part of the conversation, join other passionate people sharing information in support of one another and literally be a part of the tr- the transformation of our industry um, to share this podcast. If you know of anybody who's looking to aspire to be great in this industry, put this sucker on their radar, share this thing. I'll leave a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher radio. That really helps too. And use my links. Uh, anytime there's a product or service recommended, even better reach out to me and I'll make a personal introduction for you to make sure that restaurant stoppable is getting the credit for re- referring you to these, these companies that are being uh, recommended on the show. Um, and you know, I've, I've given a lot and I, I think it, it's weird to say that, um, but it's, it's important for me to, to acknowledge that I've given a lot uh, to, to provide value to you. And I feel like I can provide even more value to you, uh, but I need to ask. I need to ask for help because I can't give you what I want to give you unless I get the support to do it, guys. And I'm up against it right now. So please support the show. Uh, join the network. Uh, get even more value from what I'm trying to do, bringing you into the inner circle and uh, spread the word and anything you, any advice you guys have for me, any recommendations, I'm all ears. Shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. Any ways you guys can, maybe you can contribute to helping me spread the word. Anything you can do to help, I need the help. And it feels weird because I know you guys need the help right now too. But, um, you know, if I don't speak up, if I don't ask for the help, then I won't get it. And uh, it's, I guess we'll find out if this whole vulnerability thing really works out. So uh, thank you for listening today. Thank you for uh, joining the network if you're going to. And uh, if you guys do join that network, I'll give you at least 30 minutes of my time to find out where you are in your business. I'll give you an hour of my time. The first 100 people to sign up, uh, you're going to get an hour of my time. I'll schedule with you. There, I said it. Um, I want to learn about you. I want to learn about your business. And I want to learn... Um, I want you to learn about how you can get the most out of the network. So I'll give you an orientation of the platform, Mighty Networks, where we built it. It's badass, guys. I'm really excited about this. So right now, head over to www.restaurantunstoppablenetwork.com. Or if you want to get your first 30 days free... 
Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 742 for today's episode, and I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes right there at the top of the page. Uh, If you use that link, you'll get your first 30 days on us. Um, Thank you for sticking around a little bit longer today to to hear where I'm at and for allowing me to get vulnerable and and for asking for help. So um, that's it for today. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time. Peace.